Action Park Media. All right, welcome to Ramble On, the official podcast of the very, very unofficial TV show, Ramble On. And we got stuff this week. I mean, I got a meeting right after this. We got agency meetings. We've got uh, a whole bunch of stuff. So uh, I want to talk about this. The sales rep, Jared, saw it. Yeah. Oh, no one told me. I God, just, God forbid anybody tells me when they well, say Well, that it. happened late Sunday night. He came over late night and uh, arranged that. Okay. And yeah, good. Yeah. What do you think? He's and like, I, we got to come up with our strategy. Let's do a whole setup we'll have a few different mm. versions for different different i liked it what outlets. do you think of the show i mean great yeah yeah that sounds really enthusiastic no no he was like he goes he goes how can you lose with this cast this crew this group he goes it's, it's awesome nothing about the writing or directing no, no i mean he, he he if it's any consolation he laughed a few times during the show yeah, yeah I, he, guess I think that's worth something he, he thought he thought it was good all right, Kylie, yeah. what do you think of that reaction? I mean, I think, uh, yeah, you know, I think, I don't know. Yeah, I think that's a fair reaction. Uh, you mutter and stutter. Kylie's like, <laughs> by the way, he's on his phone doing six different things. He's got, Kylie's got another giant business meeting today that uh, I'm somehow connected to. So I'm getting calls about it. I think they're, they're trying to vet Connolly through me. So I have to figure out what I say when real people call sell, me. Sell, Mortimer. <laughs> tell him to get in there and what? sell. <laughs> that's pretty good. That is pretty good. Yeah, that's trading places for anyone who no, uh, Kylie, <laughs> you're you're the fact that you have a new baby and are not catching up on any television is annoying because everyone in America is watching this Severance show and I, we can't give spoilers and uh, Ted, yeah, but I haven't watched you know. White Lotus was the last show I think, or that I watched the whole thing in like a day. So I watched the whole thing in a day. Now I think wow. they, I think they could have shrunk it to six episodes. I, I for nine. sure agree with you. But the first three or four, a lot, were a lot of good of stuff. A lot of good stuff. And Patricia Arquette and uh, awesome. And you know what? Ben Stiller's just a great. He's a great filmmaker. I mean, it's really a great looking show. It, it uh, is. You know. It is. And it's, vi- it's got a very specific tone to it. It makes you feel a certain way. When but I want to understand why Lumen doesn't have more security. It makes no sense to me. They seem to have the only things I'm not giving any spoilers. They well, see the spoilers. What's the, what's the premise of the show? The premise, you know, and it kind of feels like action park media. It's like going to work <laughs> at this place that is like, Sort of hell. Uh, the simple premises. <laughs> the simple premises is they that any NFTs in there, bro. Uh, I don't think they do. <laughs> the simple premises is that they implant in your brain a chip that severs your work life from your personal life. So when you get to work, you have absolutely no memories of your outside life. No distractions, no headaches, nothing. Yeah. Imagine uh, putting stock tip, like a chip in his head where he doesn't come home with any of his problems in the office. Oh my God, like none of Dave's like, Tinder blow-offs <laughs> and he can just put them out of his head and cut clips. Oh exactly. God. And then when they go home, they don't have a clue what they did at the office all day. Good day at work, bad day at work. Well, and they, and they don't know what they are doing at work. <laughs> yeah. So it's a, Which is what a Dave mystery. is pretty much like at this but point. It's just, I mean, it really, talk about an easy sell conceptually. Oh right? yeah. Like, it has, it has a feel like uh, the way I call it is it's, it's lost in an office. Well, I think it's the Twilight Zone, which Twilight Lost was a Twilight yeah. Zone. I mean, it's it's a long Twilight is Zone. Is it dark? And it's like, very, yes, very dark, dark. Very dark. And Patricia Arquette is very dark. Very. In it. But, uh, but you know who's great? Um, there's a couple of people who I just love. And uh, I, I don't know the... The head, of, I don't even know Adam what his Scott. job is. Adam Scott's awesome. Awesome. I don't, I don't know what the head of security, I don't even know what his title is. He seems to do everything. You know, who else is in it? Walkins in it, Taturo's in it. Um, Taturo is awesome. <laughs> it just, it's, it's really, it's a wild show because wild. at times it feels like almost comedic and then it's really dark. Um, but it's like got cable guy. Yeah, cable guy this time is we're back, more. To, we're back to cable guy. All right. I loved cable guy. I think it's one of I like cable guy too. I just, I did too. Think I, it's like I didn't, one. I didn't. What's, what's interesting about cable guy. I saw it in the theater and at the end of it, I was like, I don't think I like that. And after that, I couldn't, I couldn't stop watching it. It resonated well. I literally, I, I, and I've seen it now probably 50 times in my life, but like during college, everything, I was like, re- oh, I couldn't get enough is, of it. Ben Stiller's a fucking genius. Yes, I mean, he, he, is. he really is. He's and like, very good. His comedy was, was one thing, but now he's doing these dramas. It's just, it's so well directed and it's so um, specific, the world that they've created. Again, I have so many questions when more people watch this because I just... 
Why, why are they using like computers from the 1980s when they seem to have technology that is like in the future? I don't know. There, there is a lot. There's a lot of things that are a little anachronistic. But, but why? I just, I know it's not accidental. I know. No, no, it's, it's not. I think everything has a purpose. I think I saw a Betamax in the show. I mean, it just was, it, it yeah. was just weird. Well, I mean, the, the, the monitors they have on everybody's desks are literally <laughs> the size of a boulder. I mean, they're like 20 by 20 boxes. Bringing it back to sort of the ramble on world. I mean, Apple I mean, at this point, they just tell the filmmaker or the director, creator, whatever, just go do your thing, right? It feels like it. I mean, Ben Stiller is obviously in a position, and I know it's Endeavor content who we're going to meet with about Ramble On, but, um, you know, they are an offshoot of Endeavor Agency, and now they're their own content company. So um, they're just making, you know what, it's... It's definitely the show to watch right now, for sure. It is. It is definitely. I I fucked up Charlie. I got Charlie Sheen. I said, you got to turn it on for a sec. Tell me if I'm crazy because I I go to sleep at like 930 and I'm like up at two o'clock in the morning watching this, waiting to see what happens next. So Charlie watched the entire thing in 24 hours as well. (laughs) And I think it's one of those shows which, you know, one of uh, the best compliments on like uh, what Jared had to say about the show. <laughs> Everybody who saw ramble on at the screening or most of the people that I liked their reactions were like, that's one of those shows. I just want to watch more and more and more and more. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, 24 was like that. I watched 24 when we were in production on entourage and uh, my ex-wife and I, stayed up till six o'clock in the morning. We oh. must've watched 14 hours of this thing in a row. You were, you were 24 fan. No, but I do remember the frenzy around 24 and you know, who was a like fanatical fan of 24 Ben Stiller. Oh really? Really? Why would you know that? Yeah. How do you I know, know that? Ben for a long time, Ben, Ben and I are old friends. I mean, you don't need to oh, drop sorry. names, but okay. I'm, I know you for a long sorry. time. I didn't know so you didn't you. see 24. So what you had, uh, like just one of your conversations with Ben, I, I remember. You, I'm going to text him right now. I remember how tired he was. He couldn't Yeah. Sleep. Tell him to come on the show, discuss severance with us. Yeah. Maybe we can get a goddamn guest on this ramble on show, which by the way, where's comedy, your booking department? Yeah. The booking department is there. They're in the Christopher Walken area of uh, where you're not allowed to go. <laughs> Kevin, I think you should do this at action park. Like people are not a lot of visit with other people in the office. And this it's like the biggest office you've ever seen with just these very barren white hallways and they just walk and walk, but they don't see anybody ever. Um, yeah. You know what I started watching last night? We got a couple episodes in and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of into it. Inventing Anna. Anybody I heard it's oh, down that. I, heard I haven't, I haven't seen it yet, but I did see the, uh, the, the promo for it. It's fun. And I, you know, I have to say I, I was unsure but this girl, um, the Ozark girl, is the real deal. Yeah. She's good. Yeah. She's which which one is that? Is that the one who plays the uh, the yeah, curly hair girl? Anna, oh, it says fuck, right? fuck, 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 fuck. Oh, the, yeah, cur- the curly hair hillbilly. This kind of character on Ozark where you go like, all right, is this what she is? This is all she can do. But she's got some range. I was impressed. Wow. All right. Well, I've got a show that you got to watch. And I just look. I'm not a reality guy, and I know you make fun of me all you want. Okay. The Lachaise, who Connolly had a battle with over a wine uh, opener uh, at, at our Aren't white you elephant so party tired last year. Of telling that false story. Uh, you know, it what, gets what's more real. Wait, what's the story? I had a white, uh, Sarah Sanderson threw a white elephant party at the house. You know what that is? Where, you know, you bring gifts. You bring gifts, and then everybody gets them. And, and this was some people. You know, rich, rich people do like a thousand dollar gifts. We did like twenty five dollar gifts, so there shouldn't theoretically be fights over them. Yeah, but for some well, let's reason, put it this way: when 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 it was all on the table, I was trying to get my own gift back. <laughs> Connolly wanted his gift so badly. Well, what wow. gift? No, you wanted the wine opener, right? But I because I lost the candle. I brought like a pretty expensive candle. I thought that would be a fair <laughs> gift. And then when I saw that there was like dog poop calendars going around, <laughs> sounds I'm more like, like a I like an go, episode want, of Clue. I literally made a strong play to get my own. Gift Back. All right. I don't remember you trying to get your own gift back. How, here's, all, here's all I know. I was not even invited to a white elephant party. I don't even know if we knew each other then. This is like four years ago. I mean, this is uh, mm. long story it, short. Interesting. It does, it does get pretty competitive and not competitive, but the game's the game. Let's not short it they that much. They stole my They're, charcuterie I, board and I, they <laughs> swiped in at the last minute. We had and some got big, the wine open. There were a couple of big dudes at the at the thing and Connolly, you know, he had a couple of <laughs> couple of whiskeys <laughs> and, <laughs> and Connolly was ready to, and, and the next you day. You know, he gets, he gets these few wines in him. Yeah. I thought him and Nick Lachey were going to have a fight over, uh, over the wine. Uh, no, that's that's not true. What what happened was, and and the other thing, it's an ugly sweater party. And Zulai, who's like the nicest girl in the world, says to um this like <laughs> giant dude and and his girlfriend, "Oh my God, you guys won! 
which I, I <laughs> he, guess, that, what, how would you feel, Ted? If I won the ugly sweater well, party? Well, if you like went to an ugly sweater party and somebody basically told you that, hey, congratulations. Azula, you, meant you have the, the ugliest, you have me, the ugliest sweater? Yeah. I, I think that's the greatest thing uh, ever. This, I went this, there with a purpose to, to, to beat everybody's happened. ugly sweater. Ted, to me, it sounded weird. Connolly, there's two things happening that make me think why Action Park Media is so much like Lumon. Lumon? Lumen. Lumen. Okay, Lumen. Why the office? <laughs> Lumen. Because it, it stems from the top. Patricia Arquette is the, is, she looks a little like Connolly, by the way, in the show, a little bit, you know? And I think that what, what happens is Connolly sees the world in a very different way than everybody else. If you're told at a white elephant party to bring $25 gifts, Connolly thinks he's being like gracious by bringing a $200 gift. I brought, it was a hundred bucks. All right, but you're a, fucking everybody else up because everybody sees the hundred dollar gift and like, then they yeah, start. Yeah, there's clearly fighting. a quality difference between yeah. 25 and a hundred and, but he, he doesn't understand that he's messing everybody up. That's one. Number two, an ugly sweater party. You're attempting to have the ugliest right. sweater. That's the plan. So his beautiful, sweet girlfriend walks in and compliments someone and says, Oh my God, you won. She didn't say, Oh my God, you're so ugly. She said your <laughs> and, sweater. And if they were me, I would have been like, clearly you've got the ugliest sweater. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. Now yeah. she said you have the ugliest boyfriend. I'd understand. Or your dog or your child. <laughs> I, I just, I, 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 so, but that happened to be the guy that I went head to head with on the charcuterie board later on in the white elephant party. He swiped the charcuterie board and I had no choice. But to swipe the wine opener from the cliche, <laughs> and he's a competitive dude, and yeah. uh, you know all's fair and the love yeah. and the white elephant. <laughs> all right, so this this is about Nick Lachey's new show. Yeah, so I'm telling you guys, I mean. Because it's so hard for me lately. I don't know what it is. And that's why uh, I know how good um, uh, Severance is. Because I just have no focus for most scripted stuff anymore. I'm mostly into documentaries. And the reality show, I think why Ramble On is going to be interesting to people is because reality shows... People do view them as so real, and that's what people cr are craving right now, I think, more than anything. They don't want put on. They want authenticity, and they want reality, and I think I think we're going to give them both. But this show, which Connolly, um, uh, I know we're bringing it about you, and the good news is, is I don't think anyone in your family listens to the Ramble On podcast yet, so we can talk about this. But Kev, focus, Kevco. The ultimatum which every guy in America can relate to and a lot of girls, but the the one party gives an ultimatum, either you're marrying me or you're not. And then they go and they meet a group of people that allegedly they're compatible with based on however they put them together. And they have the option right there to propose and accept the ultimatum or to move in with someone else for three weeks and start a fake marriage with this person after three weeks, after three weeks, they get to go back and live with the ultimatum partner for however many days and you see how much the relationship has been fucked up by this situation. Kevin, are you listening to this? I'm listening. I think I can do without you talking about it all the time in front of, you know, like pitching the show. Like it's just, it's just I get it. Though. Listen, I'm in the same boat. So I, I don't, I don't have to worry about, Oh, like I'm making someone uncomfortable. Uh, meanwhile, yeah. I mean, I, I'm been married for 21 years. So I, what I, ultimatum I, I, I'm get? getting ultimatums all the time. <laughs> They're well, more like, shut the fuck up before I kill you. I'm telling you this show would be great. And if they ever did celebrity ultimatum and got Kev come on there, I mean, it, it would be genius. I'd love to see it. So, Wait, so what kind yeah. of people are volunteering Think. to, to allow their Think. relationships to go through this? What tournament? I can say, and I don't know how to explain it. Love is blind with the, which the Lachey's did as well as this one. These people feel really real. And I'm not going to lie. I got emotional on love is blind. I got emotional watching these shows. And I was like, these couples are amazing. Like they meet with no, viewership of each other. So there's no sexual component. Oh, to it. you mean they, they do not get to see each other on love is blind. They meet through a wall and people actually propose it's like and, the old dating game. Yeah. And this one guy proposed to this woman and I honestly believed it. And three years later, they're still together. And like when I, when I was looking at them on opposite sides of the wall, I'm like, there's no way when these two see each other that they're going to, they're going to have it. And there are ones that come out and go, listen, I, this is not what I was expecting. I don't care how good your personality is, but there are some people, I don't think Kevin is necessarily one of them, but there are some people who, who don't they're, care about looks and they're intoxicated by each other's personal connection. Yeah. Which is just, uh, it's delightful. Don't you think? Wow. Be Dave went to a matchmaker <laughs> and, and, and said to the woman, and this is like, uh, this is code for what, I don't know what he was saying, but Dave said, you know, just you keep in mind, I'm 125 pounds. <laughs> 
what is that, what does that mean? Like, so I'm looking for a big girl. Like he's right, a spinner, like or what does wants, that mean? Like, no, he wants like a skinny, hot girl, basically. Oh, he tells the matchmaker. Yeah, that's what he oh, said okay. to the matchmaker. I thought he said on a date to someone that that, that, that he was <laughs> told the matchmaker. You know, they said, "What are you looking for?" Well, just keep in mind, I'm 125 pounds. That's what Dave said. Yeah, Dave, Dave doesn't want to wrestle out of his class. Dave, you're closer to a shelter dog than a match made in heaven, I guess. But I don't know. I would love to see how did the matchmaking go, Dave? It was too expensive. He didn't want to pull the trigger on it. What, what, give us an idea. What What does that mean? Too expensive? Uh, Fifteen hundred for five matches. I got to tell you, if the three of you jump in right now, I'm in for five hundred bucks. If we I'm, can, I'm one hundred percent in as long as we can film it. Yeah, I mean, Dave, if I could watch you on a date, I would actually probably pay a lot. Five more dates, bucks. We get five dates out of Dave for fifteen hundred bucks. Matches, but they can't. Well, what's a the match? Matches. Oh, a match. Okay. What does that mean? Combat match? I was thinking. Of <laughs> oh, oh, five matches for five grand, but Dave negotiated them down to fifteen hundred. <laughs> what? <laughs> What kind of matchmaker offers you a thousand dollar a piece match and then says, but I'll settle for 300. <laughs> I mean, that's uh it's interesting. So you have not done it. Yeah. And, uh, will they let you do one to see if you're like, Oh, that was pretty good or no. Yeah. Dave, Dave is like, there was no price short of it being like a hundred bucks that Dave was going to pay for it. What, what, what does match give you? Do they give you a, a, this is the kind of person who you would be compatible with, or do they set you up on a date and you go out yeah, on it? Yeah, they have a, you know, they have like a, you know, a pool of people and then they sit with Dave and then they, you know, probably sit around a meeting and go, Hey, well, maybe Dave would be a good match for Julie. And, you know, and then they set them up. Well, we, I, I'm completely in for, for yeah. 500 bucks. Yeah, on Connolly definitely didn't jump in. Like he jumped in on the way. I'll cover Connolly's end. Yeah, I, that I'm is so good. Let's split all. it. We'll, we'll split it. 50, 50. If we can film the whole thing, I, I will. It'll be it. one of angry lunches. Second production. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be following uh, ramble on on wherever. So let's get to ramble on uh, Chris Vanderhorse on uh, Instagram. He want he's making a film right now, completely independently. And he wanted us to talk a little bit about uh, making an independent film, which Kevin, uh, as well as I have made several, you know, uh, Kev, you made not uh, easy to do. Let's yeah. That way. Kev, I, I do want to talk though, because Kevin made an Oscar nominated short. And a lot of people probably don't know that, but I do want to talk about how you put that together, what kind of budget it was, who funded it. And Kevin got Robert Downey jr. This is 20 years ago, Robert Downey jr. Who else was in that? Tim Roth, Zoe Deschanel and Amanda Pete. Uh, wow, I mean, what such, a cast. Such an unbelievable cast. And you directed it. Yeah. And uh, do you remember what kind of budget that was? Yeah, I think we did it. We shot three days and I think we did it for like 35 grand, but full transparency. We had a lot of, we had a lot of favors, you know, I mean, that's the other thing too. You know, you get one round of favors, right? Yeah. Which, so you got to be careful. You got to, you know, most people, uh, when connections that you make, you get like, like one big favor, right? right. So you got to be smart about how you use that. So, and did you ever end up getting your money back or no? Well, no, it wasn't really, we, we didn't sell it. I mean, it went to Sundance and we, you know, submitted it, but I, we never really tried to. You said it was back. Uh, nominated for an Oscar? Yeah. Well, it made it to the final 10 round of the Oscars. So basically if it was today... It would, it, we would have gotten the Oscar. Nominees. Oh, because the old, the old format was less. And also, you know, this was like, right. It's like 2003, like the heat of like the war in Iraq. So there was like the other movies that I was up against. It was like, Whoa, it was heavy duty. Ours was like, uh, you know, and so how, how, but either way, how'd you go about doing that? You decided you, who wrote the script? Uh, Cassavetes. Oh, Nick Cassavetes. So oh. you had a, a great writer, Nick right. Cassavetes. And to, and you know, I, I'd been, it's a good story about Toby. You know, when I, I had been trying to kind of kick this around and no joke, Spider-Man opened on whatever it was on Wednesday or, in fr or Friday, whatever it was. And on Monday morning, Toby called and was like, all right, let's go. Let's go make that short. Yep. So how did it go I down? I mean, Monday morning, wow. 10 o'clock. Let's do this. So that's, that's a pretty good call after that. And, you know, on Entourage, we did the, we did a little, which Kevin has, has told me wasn't exactly how I, I thought I remembered it, but Aquaman uh, opening was based on what I thought Connolly told me about Spider-Man, the guys in a, I just remember you guys in a car in a desert getting the call that they broke the, the record, but you, yeah, you I don't know that's where that, true. I, that, that's yeah. not I don't sure know. So uh, the imagination goes to different places, but you, you go, you wanted to make this movie. Nick Cassavetes is a obviously great accomplished director. How does it 
First thing is, because everybody's asking, how do you go make an independent film? First thing is, get a good script. That is the key to the start of the process. So how do you and get... And more, it's just like, whatever, you know, in, in whatever, real estate, it's location, location, location. It's script, 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 and more script. That's so, the first place to start. It's got to be ready to go before you start, you know, bouncing. So I guess two things. Nick's a, a very successful director. Why did he write a script and why didn't he want to direct it? Or did you ask him to write well, the script? Yeah, or? I mean, I was, you know, I had, a, I had had a, a draft of it. And then when we were, you know, it was kind of just fun for everybody to be involved. It was like, all right, Nick was going to knock out a draft. Toby was going to produce it. And Toby did someone really come up with the idea, the though, or how did it work? Yeah, I had a loose idea. Right. Right. about it right and um and then yeah these guys came in and we're, there used to be a program called fox search lab which was at a fox searchlight so that's kind of where 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 we did it so it was a, a short film program that fox searchlight used to do oh it's, it's i mean it's awesome and and so then you went made it so the first but thing in those days too there was you know like you said and we've talked about this as well there was a hard cost Right, like you get all the favors in the world, but that film costs money. Right, right. This nowadays, you really, 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 uh, your excuses are cut down by a great deal. Right, due to the fact that I mean, come on, man. These even uh, whatever. Not that you're saying that it has to be this way, but you could shoot a a really high end movie on an iPhone. Absolutely, you really could. Steven yeah. Soderbergh has. I mean, and by the way, that was three or four iPhones ago. You could 100 percent shoot a very good yeah. looking movie on an iPhone, and then cut it on your Mac. You know, cut it on a Mac, and it's you really can do the whole thing alone. Yeah, but without the strong script, that's it. Yeah, and, and then the other big one, which is funny, we talked about this production sound is massive. Yeah, it's a place you can't cut corners. Right. You want great sound. So you know, uh, my first short film, which uh, I went to. Uh, I went, I got out here. I really had no idea what I was doing. I was going to am, amateur stand-up nights. I got a temp job. I was working in the mailroom at new line cinema. And, uh, I wanted to make a film. I didn't know what to do. I had never written a script. I had never done anything. Um, and I took a UCLA extension film class, which you pay like $300 and you go at seven o'clock at night. And, um, it's, I mean, it's, it's crazy to think about this, but I went into the class and the first night, the teacher says, everybody get up and pitch me your movie, you know, pitch me your movie. And all these kids or whatever they were got up and, and pitched movies. And uh, I, I, I'm a nasty guy, but they were so bad that they were funny to me. And the idea of a pitch, which to be totally honest with you, I didn't even really know about like pitching studios yet or any of yeah. that. So I kind of learned this at this extension class, but I went home and I actually went to new line the next day. And I was in the mailroom with a guy named Tommy O'Haver who became a successful director. He made a, a big Sundance uh, hit called uh, Billy's Hollywood screen kiss. And he he's, he's worked for like 20 years, but we were both in the mailroom making 300 bucks a week in the mailroom. And I said, yo, I got this idea last night, like all these horrific uh, movie pitches. Let's just, write them. So we sat down like at lunch in the mailroom and started making up really bad pitches for movies. One of them though, I, I took, I mean, I definitely made it more comedic, but I took it from one of the kids in the movie. Like I like in the class. I mean, I just kind of wrote what he said because <laughs> it was so ridiculous. So then I go, okay, like let's go make this movie. How, how do we do this? So script, is everything until you have a script, then you need money <laughs> and then you need actors. Yeah. So I, what I did was even before I had the actors, I was doing stand up amateur nights. I uh, handed out flyers to everyone at new line cinema. Now just, there's a little cut in time here because I actually, um, I left new line cinema. There was a scene in entourage with the mail guy where Ari yells at the mail guy it was kind of me. What happened to me is I had a, a late night card game with uh, Scott Lavin, who ultimately became Scott Kahn played his character's name on entourage. But I, I was up to like five in the morning and I walked into new line the next day and, uh, this VP, I can't remember her last name, Marjorie, comes storming out of her office with a hot cup of coffee. I'm pushing my little mail cart, and she smashes into me and spills coffee all over me. And she screams in the middle of the office, what the fuck are you doing there? And I go, what the fuck are you doing there? And That's weird. And then kind of Which like part, hers or his something you would never do at Lumen. Um, yeah. Like I just remember, like I really remember this. Like it was yesterday. All of a sudden, all eyes are on me and I'm like, uh, I guess I should leave. Right. <laughs> and I went to the elevator. I remember in the elevator going like, 
my life is over. Like, what am I going to do? This was terrible. Even though, by the way, in 2022, I think she would have the problem. I think someone would have video hundred percent and they would have thrown her ass out of there because I did nothing except for have hot coffee spilled on me, but I probably should have responded that way. But anyway, I was still friends with people at new line. So I, I, and Tommy was still in the mailroom. He he actually took my job because I was head of the mailroom and he moved right in and took my job. (laughs) But anyway, we, we, we got, um, Flyers handed them out to everyone at New Line, and I did a stand-up show. And uh, you know, all the people from New Line, with the exception of the the coffee spiller, showed up at uh, really? my stand-up act. And Mike DeLuca actually came, which is crazy. Mike DeLuca is now an Oscar-winning producer, and he came, saw my stand-up, and he gave me ten thousand dollars, like to Why? do this short film. He he said based on your stand-up, based on my stand-up and wow. the script. He and he said, I I think you're funny, and uh, w- let like let's do this. So um, then I've got to go cast it, and uh, I had a friend who you know was. He was very, uh, I'm not a networker. He was the guy that went around and met people and did this. And, you know, I had this one character and he said, um, I was writing it for Tony Danza on taxi. If you remember taxi at all, Tony Danza. So I wanted this kind of Italian, cool, like not very bright guy to pitch essentially the movie that this kid at UCLA screenwriting had pitched. And my friend said, I got the guy and it was a a pre friends, David Schwimmer. This was, he was, you know, he was like, how you met Schwimmer. That's how I met Schwimmer and Schwimmer at, at the, at, uh, uh, Beverly, what's that building called next to Air One? Uh, the Broadcast Center Apartments. That's where I lived. And That's where sh- Dave lives. Do you live in Broadcast Center, Dave? What? Wait. What, what unit? unit? <laughs> this is like Lumen. What Ooh. if Dave is me? Or like what? Dave, what unit? He, he he's, he'd he's prefer not to say. Now he said on the first floor. What fucking Dave? Unit? What are you hiding? Okay, Jesus. One twenty-seven. Well, I was up a little higher, Dave. But uh, anyway, the broadcast center apartments. Which I had not, a view of the Grove. Nothing was there then. There was no Grove. There was no Air One. There was no nothing. Not you could probably see all the way to CBS from. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you could for sure. CBS is right next door. But so Schwimmer walked into my apartment, and I swear to God, he did one line, and I said, "Done." He said, like he auditioned for this short film. And uh, he goes, what do you mean? I go, you're it you're like a hundred percent. And I told my friend, I swear to God, I said, this guy is He's gonna going to be a star. Like I thought he was going to be the biggest star in the world. And within four years, he was, you know, nominated for an well, Emmy. He's done okay for himself. He's done yeah. okay. But he was on the cover entertainment weekly as the next Tom Hanks. And he got the big movie that everyone in this town wanted, which was the Paul bearer. He turned down, which I take some blame for it, but I, I read, um, I read the men in black script and I, I, did, oh, he turned down men in black. I did not like it. It for was good. Tommy Lee Jones character. No, or Will Smith? Be Tommy Lee and Will Smith. Now you can always debate what the movie is with different people, but Schwimmer to me still is one of the funniest human beings on the planet, as well as not, not just a funny actor, a great dramatic actor also. But anyway, so I got Schwimmer and then I got some other people to come do this. Ernie Hudson yeah. and Ghostbusters. Yeah. And Oz and just a, an incredible actor. And the reason I, 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 I talk about this is because when you're making these independent films, you got to do everything you can to, um, beg, borrow and steal. And like you say, you need favors, but I was a driver on, um, house party, uh, one, I was a, a PA driver and I would drive Helen Martin around who was a great actor who was on two, two sevens and, and, and a bunch of other sitcoms. And I called her. I was she was like, the old lady in the window in two, two seven. Yes. Yeah. And, and she was the old lady in a lot of stuff, but she was brilliant. And, uh, I called her, I said, I don't know if you remember me. Uh, um, but I drove you around like seven months ago and I'm making a movie and she's like, you know, uh, what's it pay? And I'm like nothing. <laughs> and, uh, I sent her a script and she came and did it. By the way, this movie, you can see it on, uh, on, um, the internet. It's called the pitch, but I then went and like Kevin said, I found every favor I could get. I called friends who knew cinematographers. I called friends who knew sound people, editors, et cetera, et cetera. And, and we put it together with Johnny Silverman was in this, uh, also wow. I put myself in it with a great head of hair. At well, the like, like you said, yeah. I mean, obviously the script is a big thing. And then actors is also the big thing. The other, um, who are we talking to? What's the guy's name? Uh, that's doing his short film. Cause I think I got a DM from this guy. Is this the guy you're talking about? The guy that hit you up on uh, Chris Vanderhorst. Oh, is that, is that the guy? That's who one of the, one of the people who told me yeah. a short phone. Okay. Yeah. Well, the other thing too is um, you want to write your short or your script around 
locations that you can get and preferably one that gives you a little uh, production value. Yeah. The bad version is, uh, you know, if you shot at an abandoned racetrack, I don't know, something with structures, something to make it feel big to give you a little production value. Well, right. I mean, you don't want to shoot, you know, uh, against a, against a white wall. So, so while yeah. you're writing, keep that in mind. So I would have, I would have liked to know this when I made my short, cause my short was, it was it was a one camera angle, and it was just people pitching. So, uh, and and why I talk about this is, you know, directing uh, can be many things. Obviously, directing is very important. How you handle your actors, how you help navigate the script. But there were no shots in my short film. It was basically just you know a camera looking at people talking to a producer that we did not see, and. Uh, I, I want to get to what happened after this because it, it is a pretty incredible Hollywood story. But so, and Connolly, I don't even know if you know this, or I don't know if I've already said it on the podcast because my my I'm getting old. I'm 54. So, but what happened was I make this short film, and Showtime bought it like a short film and a short. And, in between this, I see the movie The Player comes out, one of my favorite movies. That crazy enough, Jeremy Piven is in that movie. Yeah, I see the trailer while I'm editing my short film and I see people pitching movies and I go into this panic, panic. That people think uh, are going to think I'm going to, I stole this or whatever. And, um, ultimately what happened is Showtime bought it to put it with the player. So they played it before one of the greatest movies of all time on You're Showtime. Kidding. No. So, uh, on, on, on like a regular rotation on a regular rotation on Showtime. That's Showtime. unbelievable. Yeah. So, so someone saw that I had talent. So here's what happens. A producer, sees this film and calls me up and says, um, you're a genius. True story. You're a genius. And I want you to direct my movie. His movie Connolly's still on his phone, but I think you'll be quite fascinated by this. Kevin, his movie was the parent trap with Jamie Lee Curtis and Kevin Pollack. And that movie was at new line cinema. So I now get a call and I've made a seven minute short. You went from literally getting coffee, coffee spilled on you to being a director in one of their features, $30 million budget, 20 to $30 million budget. I am the attached Lindsay Lohan. I am the attached director of this movie that the, from the producer. And I wish I could remember who the producer was. And I am going in to meet with Mike DeLuca, who financed my short to, uh, to say it. And you know, everybody, if you've ever seen the big picture, which is a great movie about film school, Kevin Bacon, and how you come out of film school and you might instantaneously be the star in the town. I thought I was the star in the town. I walked into new line. Tommy O'Haver was still in the mail room. It's only like five months later. That's unbelievable. And I'm walking in and I'm going to this meeting and I'm actually like uncomfortable because this just is so weird. I don't remember. Well, it's the scene of the crime, right? I, I don't know what happened to the coffee spiller, but anyway, I walk into Mike DeLuca's office. Now there's like 14 people in there. I've never directed anything except for this the short, this short film that has had this wild success. It got me an agent. It sold to showtime. It got all the actors paid back. Conley just walked away. Like this is boring. I mean, the guy's the fucking worst. It's unbelievable. So, um, I lost my train of thought. Um, anyway, you're walking into the office. Mike so, DeLuca's there, 14 people. I, I walk into the office and Mike starts asking me questions about directing. And I really don't know like anything about directing. I just like did what I thought and, and that was it. So he starts quizzing me and, and I'm uh, not answering anything because I don't even know what he's talking about. Like, how do you, how do you want to shoot this? Like, what do you, what's your vision for this? With a camera? Yeah. And I'm just like, I'll, I'll, I'll make it funny, you know? I know how to make it funny. And also what happened to me on the, the set of the pitch, this is how inexperienced I was. Dave Morrison was my cinematographer who was awesome. He sets up the first shot and he tells me to look through the camera lens and I looked through it and I saw nothing. And I thought everyone was punking me and I'm surrounded by all these people who I know, you know, I'm the director and they're looking at me like, why are you the director? Cause everybody wants to be the director yeah. when you're on this student film set. And I didn't realize I had to push my, my eye really up to the lens of the camera. I felt like uh, there was a, uh, a lens cap on it or something, but everybody was laughing at me. And so I go and I'm at this Mike DeLuca meeting and um, it's just a complete and utter disaster. I don't have any answers to anything that he's saying. I don't know what he's talking about and I'm completely humiliated and I have to walk out out and I, I walked by Tommy with his mail cart going, I hopefully someone will take me back here soon. But Mike took me to lunch afterwards and he said, you're going to have a career, but I think you should go to film school. 
learn some stuff. So I used that short film to get into AFI. And that's what I did with it. So wow, yep. So I, look I, at that. So I had the ups and down in my first year out here, and then realized I'll I be was honest nowhere. with you. You know, there's something to be said about that because this is a really important thing, especially for people who are aspiring and listening to this podcast about what they want to do to get in. Yeah, you're you're gonna get your heart broken. Yeah, you're go, you're gonna likely take one or two or three on the nose or the chin, yeah. and you have to just keep rambling on. You have to. You have to because yeah. if you don't. You will get stopped by the humiliation and the shame and the failure. And you have to recognize champions lose along their way. Yeah. They, they don't, you're not holding the trophy every day of your life. And, and when you think, and look, I've been very lucky and things, some things happened quickly for me while there's been lots of downsides, but I mean, my first standup performance, I, I swear similar thing. Woman came up to me, told me like, I'm the next whoever, Jerry Seinfeld, blah, blah, blah. She wants to sign me. I, I mean, honestly, I'm 22. I've done standup three times in my life. Um, I call my parents, I tell them I made it. And I was, I remember I was going back to new Orleans, uh, for a two lane event. And she told me to call her the next day. And it sounds like a, like a bad movie, but it's a hundred percent true. I called her the next day. I said, Hey, um, you know, the next Seinfeld. And, uh, she said, I swear, which is in a movie, but it happened in my life. She said, I was on drugs last night and I have no recollection of you whatsoever. So, um, that, that was, that was a, another one of those moments. But anyway, but I, by the way, that's devastating because you've already called your parents and oh you've done all God, the, yeah. like, by the way, now the, you're, you keep the, the good news or the bad news to yourself for a little while and let it simmer before you start Telling you know everybody. what? I mean, I try it, like, you know, oh. Connolly knows we talked about it. Me, me putting the, the show in front of all these people the other day, like putting my ass out there, but I've always done that. I mean, the, the standup thing I was, you know, he'll make fun of me, but I was, I was doing pretty good as an amateur, meaning people were saying you're good. Yeah. You got to stick with it. The owner, Mark Lano of the improv said, you're going to have a career in this. You just got to really fight the fights and stop drinking on stage. Cause I would get so nervous. I would drink on stage, but I got a little <laughs> cocky and I, I went to New York to do, to do a show. And, and like I, I tend to do, I brought everyone. <laughs> so I, I had <laughs> like, packed the place. I had 300 people there and uh, I was an uh, amateur comedian and the real comedians I'm on the, I think it was Caroline's maybe I, I was on the, 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 on the marquee, on the marquee, because I was bringing everybody and everybody had a buy two drinks and a ticket. So I filled the place, which is what a, a comedy place wants. But all the professional comedians were just abusing the hell out of me and uh, making fun of me. Like, who is this guy? Who is this guy? And I was backstage feeling like I'm good. I do this. I've, I've really never bombed. Like sometimes there's a better moment. You feel better, but I never like walked off the stage where people are like, what in Throwing God's oranges name at are you doing? <laughs> you know, but this time, and I, and we probably talked about it on victory, but I went on and I did the Cardinal sin. I started my show with a new joke. It got no laughs and I walked off. So all the people came in from long Island and, um, wait, you know, wait, wait, you did one joke. I did and, one joke and left. Yeah. I, I, not because I was angry. I got, I started, I broke out into a cold sweat, you know, you know, all of this, like a panic attack, all of the stuff that happens in my life. I end up using in things, but I, there's a scene where Jason Lee and kissing a fool does stand up comedy. And it was based on this moment. And I was on this stage in front of everyone. I'm talking like first girlfriends, cousins, uh, best friends, everybody that I know is there. And, uh, I did my joke and nobody laughed and I, I just got uh. off the stage and, uh, my father's best friend, um, Alan Newman, who just passed away literally weeks ago. two weeks ago, or well, March 14th, cause it was on my dad's 90th birthday. Um, he knew me since, you know, I was a kid and he always told me like I was the underachiever that I was going to be somewhere or something. He called me up the next day and said, uh, you're ruining your parents' life. <laughs> Please stop breaking your Please dad's stop heart. Stop this garbage. Your parents <laughs> spent all this money on college. You're not funny. I know you're smart, but this is not the thing. And, uh, I, I still though, did you take that advice to heart and actually use it to change? Or did you, were you like, Oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about. It wasn't that I didn't think he knew what he was talking about. I knew I could do stand up comedy, but I knew that I had a grind at it. Like, well, you were being judged on one joke. Yeah, but moment. I'm not even saying he was wrong to judge me. The truth is you have to take that job, which I did not. You have to take that job like a job. And that means 
you are getting up if you, anytime you can, anywhere yeah. you can, and, and you're just keep doing grinding it. On. Because, you know, there's a Seinfeld documentary is phenomenal about stand-up comedy. And I think, you know, I think they showed Billy Crystal, like, same joke in two different audiences, and you see the reaction is wildly different. And when you're doing stand-up or any type of performance, really, the, the audience has to disappear, and you have to do your job and do your show. And I never got to that point where I was comfortable. If the audience laughed at me, I got better. If they didn't laugh at me, yeah. I got like, I melted down and oh, I melted yeah. down. You get time. tense and all, yeah. you know, all yeah. those things. So, but anyway, I went to AFI, which, uh, you know, was, was a, was a good, uh, one year experience. And I had some great people in my class, Darren Aronofsky and, uh, Mark waters and Scott silver and Todd field and right, others these are Oscar winner. These are Oscar caliber yeah. directors. And, 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 you know, it was, it was a cool experience. Um, at Dave Perkle, who's our cinematographer for Ramble on, I met there and, what happened after AFI, he convinced me to go make another short film. And I did the same thing again. And like Kevin said, script, script, script. I wrote a script and uh, then went out and, and raised money and begged, borrowed any way I could. Um, my friend, um, Lad and Greg Vance, their mother, Marilyn Vance, is an Academy Award winning uh, costume designer. Um her son produced it and she helped us get all the costumes. And then I got Schwimmer back and, and what, what short was that? This was called the waiter. Um, and uh, I was supposed to star in it. That was my whole purpose. Like I wanted to be You're you redeeming know, yourself. I wanted to be, look, uh, I came out here to be a performer, writer, director. I wanted to be Albert Brooks, Woody Allen yeah. without the, you know, the nonsense. Um, I wanted to be like, make films like that, Jerry Seinfeld, whatever. And, uh, you know, we were about to, to start shooting that little short film and, and, um, John Cryer's agent called and said, uh, he read the script and he wants to play this part. And I called John uh, Cryer, John Cryer. Yeah. John Cryer, that John Cryer. So wow. he ruined my life. John Cryer. Now I love, I love him, but I called David Schwimmer and who was at that point become one of my best friends. And I said, John Cryer wants to play this part. And he said, let him do it. Get behind the camera and really focus on making something good. So that was the end of my acting career, which maybe was a good thing, but I made that short film, which again, independent and, that film got seen by a producer named Cleveland O'Neill who called me up and said he wanted me to make this again, independent film called fat, fat beach. beach. Yeah. And, uh, we did that movie in, um, literally 10 days with fat a, beach. Yeah. With like a budget of like $50,000. It was crazy. It was 16 hour days. And, if you watch the movie, there's, I mean, there's actors in there who are black that got, he fired them and then they, he replaced them with white people and I'd have to put a wig on them or glasses. And it, what? it was an absolutely wild experience. And, uh, <laughs> ultimately <laughs> yeah, people change color in the middle of the movie, in the middle of the movie, you can see it. And, uh, and the, the worst part though, was when he brought, he brought, um, a Korean guy to play Jermaine Hopkins to play his stunt double. And he put blackface on him and I'm not involved in this, but it was the thing, but you edited movies back then on Lightworks, which were so digitized that you could barely see them. So I never saw this movie until the premiere. So how do we get to a premiere with this weird movie that was shot in like less than 10 days, a year after we were done filming, where the money was gone and this thing was over, which is an important thing to remember with independent movies. Most of them never go anywhere. The most important person in an independent movie is usually the writer and the director because they will get all the credit. And usually the money people don't ever get their money back. That's most of the time. Now, if you are the money person on something great, like a saw or my big fat Greek wedding or black swan, like our friend Tyler did, then you get really rich. Um, but those are so very rare. rare. So you're really usually trying to make a film. Um, and as to Kevin Connolly's point, you want to keep it in small spaces if possible, but still looking good. Like, you know, a perfect example is, you know, uh, Darren Aronofsky's pie or Quentin Tarantino's reservoir dogs was mostly in that warehouse and, yeah, and Memento, that those kinds of films. Yeah. And you see Quentin obviously made a movie that almost could have been a play. Um, and then you see what talent the guy had when he had unlimited budgets, but to make his first one, that's how brilliant he was. He said, let me keep this thing contained. Let me show people how I can tell a story, how I can really do dialogue. And, uh, obviously it was great. But so I made that short film that led to fat beach and then fat beach was out of money, out of business. And, uh, this 
this friend of mine, Aaron Weinberg saw some dailies and said, I could sell this thing. And the next thing I know we were back up a year later, that movie was shot like the first half. And then you, you could see people aged as it goes on. Cause it was like a year later, their hairs were different and, and everything. But ultimately we end up selling it to live entertainment, which was, uh, I forget they became uh, I forget what company they became, but a big company. And they were releasing it on 400 screens around the world. This movie all in was less than a couple of hundred thousand dollars. And they're releasing it wide. We're having this giant premiere at the galaxy six. Wow. Um, and I go with, with my ex-wife and it's a power one Oh six giveaway. And for real, uh, you know, um, my, my ex-wife and I are the only white people in this audience. They like the, the, the entire audience is African-American and he wants me to get up and make a speech. Now, number one, I'm pretty sure this movie's not very good. Number two, <laughs> I'd really just, rather stay in my yeah, seat. I'd rather stay in my seat. And, and he still brought me up and people behind me were like, Oh, you made this movie. All right. All right. And I actually, I'm very proud of the first like 20 minutes of it. It's funny. And then it starts to lose its way a little bit. The story starts to fall apart. But, uh, when we got to the guy in blackface, which I'd never seen. And I saw it on a giant screen oh, dear in God. front of 2000 people. And they went to 2000. I, maybe I'm exaggerating, but I feel like it was pretty damn big. It that, was a that packed galaxy theater. six. Is that big? I don't know. It might be 200, but, <laughs> if it, <laughs> but it felt like 20 it felt million. Like, it felt like the whole world was watching it. But when that came up, I mean, they went bananas and people well, kicking my chair. Now, no one got angry. They were laughing. They just thought it was so ridiculous. You know, oh. it's people like Jackie Chance and blackface. That's what people were saying. I remember it. And oh uh, my God. Yeah, it was, it was nuts, but, but um, they were, they were like entertained by it. Oh yeah. They thought it was so ridiculous because again, maybe <laughs> I can try to explain this, but so nobody, was, nobody was angry at that moment. No, no, no. Lightworks was one of the first editing equipments. So when you edit, it was so pixelated. You wouldn't see it. When you saw film on a giant movie screen, you yeah, could see totally everything. different. So it didn't even look like it, it, it wasn't even like he was in blackface. It was like, there was a couple of lines of shoe polish. And it was, it was almost like they didn't even try to cover it up because we never thought anyone would notice it. And once you saw it on a screen, you oh, were like, God. what the hell is this? <laughs> so it, it, it was pretty uncomfortable, but hold on one second. Is Kevco giving me a sign? No, just, we're just running, running a company over here. Uh, this guy's eating. He's running in the booth. Lumen, <laughs> Lumen over there, the Lumen president over there. So, but anyway, Back to the point of independent films, you know, you do. Have How did Fat Beach do? Fat Beach has grossed apparently like $11 million um, over the 30 years. And Complex Magazine did a 25 or 20 or 25 year retrospective of it that you can Google. Chris Rock used to make fun of it in his stand up act, which I loved. And uh, you know how much I was paid? 11,000 bucks and never made another dollar more. Um, no so, residuals coming in on that 11 no, million? No, because I was non union. But the money, the money guys. They did well. They did well. Sure. They did well. You're talking about sure. a couple hundred thousand dollar budget. They did well for sure. Wow. Yeah. So that's, you know, Can, but do you have, do you still have their numbers? I'd love to give them a call. I, yeah. <laughs> we should give them a call for Ramblin. But, but really the point is for an independent film, you have to just have such a passion and desire to do it. And when you ask your friends for money, which, you know, even uh, one of the great regrets of my life is uh, when I was shooting Kissing a Fool, Darren Aronofsky was a good friend of mine, sent me pie with no music in it. And on a DVD or a track, whatever the hell whatever it was around the time. And Andrew Form and I, Andrew Form uh, is now runs Michael Bay's company. We shot like a 16 hour day and we took this in and he was not looking for a lot of money, which by the way, I didn't have a lot of money. I mean, kissing a fool. I was not getting paid for either. Not much. It was yeah. a very small million dollar budget film. So I I've been around this independent film stuff a lot and been really lucky that, um, the waiter never sold to anybody, but the pitch fat beach and kissing a fool all done completely independent, finished and sold and sold. Um, so everybody got their money back, which again is really, really rare. Um, oh, but, uh, we, ha we now. had pie, we had pie and we watched it, uh, like in our, in our hotel room at four o'clock in the morning. And, you know, we thought there was something there, but there was no music. It was black and white. We were watching it in a hotel room on like, yeah, small like screen on a screen. Like they have on uh, severance, yeah. <laughs> you know, like they're working on out of severance. And, uh, we probably could have, if we could have raised 10,000 bucks, we could have probably could have owned the whole thing and uh, owned Darren's career, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, he would, cause you would have been his producers from then on. We could have been, uh, uh, we could have been a lot uh, of things, but you could have been Tyler. Yeah. We could have been Tyler Thompson. So, but fortunately it, it worked out, but really like, 
getting into independent films. And uh, I'm going to bring on, we'll bring on Rob Weiss, who worked on Entourage and made a film called The Monk's Friends, which I was around when, when he did that, which I, I do think, and Ted and I discussed this before we shot the Ramblon pilot, you know, the best thing to me that you can do is shoot a feature. Like I always said to people like, Short films, the only reason you should shoot a short film is if you cannot afford a feature. But if you can afford to get to the 90 minutes, you'll have a lot easier time selling it than a short film. Truthfully, which... it doesn't even have to be 90 minutes anymore. Really? Why? Just because of the streaming uh, aspects? I just think, I think like within reason, but I think you could get away with like in the 80s. Well, Ramble on to 31, so uh, maybe we could stretch out can the we, credits. Maybe we could just put it on repeat three times. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's I, 93 I, minutes. I'll always wonder if we should have done three. We'll see as we go to market with this thing, which again, I, I, I really do feel it's great. But, uh, you yes. know, we're, we're not going out with an independent film and going here, buy this for X amount of dollars and play it, which... I bet my life, if we had 90 minute film that was as good as this, we would sell it. But now we're going, this is a pilot. Now we need another four to $6 million an episode for however many more episodes you want to make. So uh, that's a totally different thing. And, and Mm -hmm. for people to know out there, very few people do what we just did. So, um, There's a good reason for it. <laughs> well, we're going to find out. I it requires think, four to six million dollars an episode to see well, if you can put it all well, together. Well, we obviously did the pilot for less because, as Kevin said earlier, we asked for favors from everybody, yeah. including my actors who worked for free, including myself as a screenwriter who worked for free, um, and a director who worked for free. So, um, you know, we paid as few people as we can on the hopes that all of us, which is what we want to do, will have jobs going forward. So yeah. that's that's the plan. So Ted looks miserable right now. Well, this whole uh, this whole thing went a different direction than I was thinking. What were you thinking? Well, I, right, I think it was right at the moment where you said it's very rare for the money guys to get any of their money back. And uh, now, you know, that that joke you told and you broke out in a cold sweat. Yeah, I was, I was looking <laughs> for the window. <laughs> you know what? It It's true. But at the same time, there's very few independent TV shows that have a cast like this and, no, and, of course. and, a, and a quality show like this. So um, we'll, we'll we'll get our money back. We'll get. Our I'm, money yeah, back. I'm not worried. About I'm it. not worried about it. Whether we'll by, go. By the way, if, if we. If we see that there's that issue, we already had the discussion about doing it as the 90 minute film. Yeah. And we'll, we'll just, I'll just double down. Yeah. Because this thing is great. The people in it are great. And I think we'll be fine. Well, I was thinking yesterday, I mean, one way or another, we're going to show to people. And that's, that's one of the reasons why I do say spread the word about the podcast and everybody's social media. Cause what I, I want to have the ability if, if, if it comes to that, that we go, guys, would you pay a dollar for an episode, $3 for an episode, $5 for an episode yeah, and sell it to our fans and, yeah, and, and, and even ha- if have them be part of the process. Yeah. And even if it's not a big money maker for us and we just are able to get our money back and able to share with everybody what we did, you yeah. know, that, that that's part of it as well. So yep. I'm excited about that. All right, Kevin, what else you got? Any updates? Um, your hockey team, you want to tell us? No, about? we're ready to go. Uh, is Kevin Dillon here? Cause we he have victory here. coming up. Dylan's here. All right. Is he here? Well then I'll, I'll vacate the chair for Kevin. All right. So uh, hopefully that was a little informative on independent uh, films and, and um, ramble on. <laughs>